Lee Kuan Yew, the former Prime Minister of Singapore, passed away in March of 2015 after ruling Singapore from 1959 to 1990. During his reign and since, Singapore has become one of the richest countries in the world. However, Yu is seen by many as an autocrat that gave fewer political rights to Singapore citizens than is typically seen in rich countries. Is it possible that Yu's autocratic leadership can be replicated to make other countries experience this economic performance? How much can we credit Yu's leadership for Singapore's so-called miracle growth? On today's episode, we explore the relationship between leadership and economic growth. You're listening to the Success Project podcast series. The NYU Development Research Institute, DRI, was founded by William Easterly and Yao Nyarko. DRI, understanding the barriers to growth and development. I'm Will Comperlin, here to talk with me today about leaders in economic growth is Bill Easterly, co-author with Stephen Pennings of the paper, How Much Do Leaders Explain Growth? Bill, thank you for coming on. Pleasure. There are some notable examples of political leaders presiding over periods of impressive economic growth without much democratic accountability or respect for political rights. Not only Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore, but also Deng Xiaoping in China, Park Chung-hee in South Korea, and some others. One possible explanation is that an autocrat won't have to deal with red tape or checks and balances that a democratic leader does. So a truly visionary and benevolent autocrat can do amazing things for economic growth. It's not that dictators per se are the issue, you just need the right dictator, or so the thinking goes. But your paper argues that this gives too much credit to leaders for the economic performance of their countries. So what are the ways in which the correlation between a leader and high growth may not reflect causation? Well, first, it's not even clear there there is a correlation between leaders and growth. You know, we what you're talking about are individual anecdotes of a few leaders that had very successful growth rates. But if we really want to take this seriously, then we would do what we had to do in this paper, which is say, you know, when the leadership changes, does the growth rate change? That's what you have to systematically analyze to see if there is some correlation between the identity of the leader and the growth rate. And that's what the findings we're going to talk about today are based on. Because those autocrats that I mentioned, they're a small sample of many autocrats throughout history. So if people, people like to bring those up and they forget about all of those bad ones. Right. So really, there's two steps that we have to go through here. First, we have to acknowledge there's some really disastrous autocrats like Robert Mugabe or Joseph Mobutu uh, that had you know extremely negative growth. So obviously, autocrats on average are not going to be good for growth because we have both the miracles and the disasters. And then the second step is asking, well, let's be clear about this. Is it really the leader that gets the credit either for the big disaster, to blame for the big disaster, or that gets the credit for the big success? And that's where we need that correlation that I talked about a moment ago. We really need to know when the leadership changes, does growth change? We just have to look at the data exhaustively to analyze that. And in that case, even if a new leader a new leader correlates with higher growth, there are still things that are often out of their control, whether it's a democratic leader or an autocratic leader. So if you're in an oil-rich country and the price of oil either goes up or down, that'll affect your economic performance. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, to be honest, this is something that drives me a little bit crazy in development. It's not that I want the evidence to come out a certain way or, or not. It's just that it was kind of already obvious that people were giving way too much credit for, to leaders. 
you know, uh, the example you mentioned is a good one. You know, oil prices are going up. That obviously should deserve a lot of the credit. There's actually a study that found in U.S. states that voters spuriously rewarded governors of oil-producing states when oil prices went up, even though the, the governors got no credit whatsoever. It was all about the oil prices. Very similar things happen in development. It just seems like we're almost automatically hardwired to want to give credit to like the guy in charge when something good is happening, like like high growth rates. And that, that's just really extreme in development to the extent that, as you said, there's this kind of like almost romance with benevolent autocrats that even causes people like Thomas Friedman to sometimes say, oh, I wish we could have one of those for the U.S. and cut through all the you know, stagnation and red tape that we have with democracy and get good stuff done. You know, Tom Friedman has said things exactly like that. So after accounting for those, those characteristics you talk about, trying to analyze how a change in leadership will correlate with this new growth rate, what do you find is the impact leaders have on growth? Well, we, one thing we had to do also is control for country effects, because obviously country characteristics also matter in addition to who's leading the country. So when we did the most complete specification that analyzed how much growth changes when leadership changes, also cha- controls for country effects, uh, and some, with some of our data sets, and we found actually literally zero leader effects, <laughs> which was almost too strong for us to believe. You know, the leaders literally had zero effect. And other specifications, and I say control that we get different results in different data sets because that's one of the um, things that makes it so hard to evaluate leaders is the data are very noisy and very badly measured on economic growth rates. And different, different data sets say different things about which leaders are doing well. This is something important, actually, that we're going to have to come back to in this, in this podcast. But to, get, to make a long story short, uh, across all the, trying all the different data sets, sometimes we get very small leader effects, but always they were swamped by the total variation in growth rates. So actually leaders are accounting for very little of the total variation of the total change from year to year in growth rates. So the punchline really is that there are so many things that affect something like economic growth and attributing it to a leader is, is just a really giant leap overall. And when you go back to the the messiness or uncertainty of the data, I've got to think, what even makes for classifying a leader an autocrat? Because democracy and autocracy is a spectrum. It's not this dichotomy. And is there much agreement on who the autocrats are? Uh, well, first of all, we need a kind of conceptual distinction and then and figure out how to implement it in the data. So obviously, democracy is about majority voting, individual rights, minority rights protections, Autocracy is basically about uh, unchecked power, whereas democracy is about checks on power and accountability to the the citizenry. So that's the conceptual distinction that we have. And then to implement that, we go to data compiled by political science that attempts to measure those characteristics of every leader, of every political system. And we get a sort of scale, and then we did a kind of arbitrary cutoff to get sort of the the best democracies were the ones that we defined as Democrats, and then sort of everyone else we just pull, piled together as, as autocrats. So why do you think people are so quick to credit leaders for something like economic performance? One quick intuitive answer for me is that it makes people feel like we're more in control of what happens, right? So yeah, in, yeah, in this huge yeah. political environment or ac- economic atmosphere, if we just need to change that one leader... It makes yeah. us feel like we can make a huge difference, whereas if it's really decentralized and there are these yeah, yeah, cultural, yeah. historical aspects that are out of our control, 
we don't like that idea. Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, psychological biases that cause us to just want to see someone in charge, someone who intended the whole thing to happen, that gets the credit, that will be the hero. You know, it's you can think of analogies in the world of sports that are very similar, you know, where if a team loses, it's the quarterback who gets the blame, or the coach, one of those two in, in American football. Uh, if the team wins, you know, the qu quarterback is showered with glory. Of course, you've got, you know, uh, 22 positions playing on the, on the football field. We're only singling out one, the quarterback. Why is that? I think it's similar psychological bias. So continuing on with that sports analogy, then there's obviously a lot of, uh, even in sports, there's a lot of luck with injuries, weather, whatnot. A, a basketball coach like Phil Jackson won many, many championships. Now let's, let's call him maybe the Lee Kuan Yew of, uh, of leadership. So now, leaders, if they're around for four or five years, maybe they have some luck with uh, an oil boom or something international politically that is in their favor. But when Lee Kuan Yew was um, leading Singapore, it was for such a long time, it's hard to ascribe that to luck. So do you think, is this just really an exceptional outlier or is there something to be said for Singapore's performance? Well, our paper really makes two points about first, one that one that is discounting how much excessive attribution we're giving to the short-term leaders that you're talking about first, and the second is questioning the attribution of the long-term leaders. So let's talk about both. So like you said, with a short-term leader who's only in power for four or five years, even 10 years, there's so much noise in the data that a leader just might be getting a lucky streak or getting a, a negative lucky streak, <laughs> you know, an unlucky streak, and we're spuriously calling that leadership when it's just you know noise in the data. What we know is that there's enormous amounts of noise in the data. I've already referred to the fact that different data sets give vastly different numbers on what the growth of the country actually is under a given leader. So different data sets will give us different uh, heroes as to which leaders produce high growth. Now, on the long end, if a leader stays in power for a long time, that should be enough to start averaging out that measurement error, and then we could start giving more credit to the leader. And then don't forget the other thing that I've already been talking about, country effects. So what's waiting for us on the other end with a very long-serving leader is, is it really the leader or is it the country? You know, is it, uh, so for Lee Kuan Yew, he's, he was in power for you know, a large proportion of the time that Singapore has been independent as a country. So is it Singapore or is it Lee Kuan Yew? And you know, for more, it's it's also suggestive that his successors have gotten pretty almost equally good economic performance, also. So that's another kind of little piece of anecdotal evidence. Maybe it's Singapore. It's not. It's not the leader. Same thing in China. You know, Deng Xiaoping got sort of heroic credit for China, but then his successors have also gotten high growth. So is it China or is it Deng Xiaoping? And in the case of Deng Xiaoping, I always find it interesting that that comes up as an argument for this uh, benevolent autocrat situation because he he was from a, starting from a situation that was so bad in terms of the situation for economic growth that a little bit of his improvement will cause growth but still China was a poor country in in per capita terms and so people see this improvement and think that the way that he leads then can mean good absolute economic levels yeah yeah and, yeah and yeah that that seems like an unfair uh, leap to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I would actually make it even stronger that the, the things were so bad in China under Mao and, you know, all the horrible things that Mao did that they generated a natural kind of resistance uh, in which people demanded more 
more personal freedom, more economic freedom. And there's a, a pretty well-documented story about how you know, farmers in one province of China were starving, and they just started demanding that they be allowed to have individual plots to feed their families and, and you know, withdraw from the collective farms. And they just mounted a kind of nonviolent, unofficial rebellion in this one province. And it was a huge success. And then the other villages around them saying, we want this too. <laughs> we want to be allowed to individual plots. And this really snowballed to become the major reform that allowed individual plots instead of collective farming. And then, you know, why should we give the credit for all that to Deng Xiaoping? The most that he did is he decided, okay, I'll let this happen. I won't stand in the way. I won't crack down like that crazy, you know, psychopath Mao. Uh, that 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 much he gets credit for, you know. The rest is just sort of resistance and entrepreneurship by the citizens of China. So sometimes in the development world, people will overlook a leader that gives a lack of political rights and democracy in developing countries if it comes with economic growth. I think uh, people will often sort of sweep those under the rug or for, forget about them if it means that the country's um, going to get richer. And it's interesting then that this paper says, well, hold on, the leaders, you know, don't excuse them or give them credit for this growth. So how do you think your findings shed light on the effects of this mindset that political rights are secondary and it's okay to forget about them if economic growth happens? Yeah, I mean, that's, this is why it's so important to get this question right, you know, that uh, there is a lot of that going on, exactly what you said, that... Um, you know, some leader does have a, a lucky streak, maybe combined with some policy changes that have a positive response. And then we give way too much credit to an autocratic leader and then are, are inclined to say, oh, forget about the rights of uh, democratic rights of the population. We're just, this guy's doing a wonderful job. And that, that implies a belief that that wonderful performance will continue, which is completely groundless, because since it is so much, growth is so noisy and so temporary, it's very likely the growth boom will end almost as soon as you're done congratulating the great autocratic leader. So it's just wildly misguided for development policy to place so much weight on a few years of good growth performance as an excuse for denying democratic rights to poor people. It's just wildly unfounded, both in, in good empirics and, you know, frankly, it's just morally reprehensible as well. Bill, thank you for coming on the program. This episode of the Success Project podcast series was recorded at the DRI offices in New York, New York, hosted by Will Comperl and produced by Carmen Cuesta Visit nyudri.org to listen to other episodes in our series, read Bill's paper, and learn more about the Success Project. This project was made possible through the support of a grant from the John Templeton Foundation. The opinions expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the John Templeton Foundation. My pleasure.